Today, a little look behind the scenes at Truth to Ponder. And then I want to look at the question, who made YouTube, Google, Twitter, and Facebook the arbitrators of information and truth? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to the weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. I am your host, Bob Bierman. I I was thinking the other night about this program and and realizing that over the past almost 10 months, we've been gradually growing an audience in a lot of places all over the United States, Canada, Australia, even into the United Kingdom and Germany. And some of you are fairly new listeners. I've noticed, especially on the podcast side, there there is more interest, more activity, and, and the number of downloads and people listening on Anchor and even Spreaker, we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. I haven't had any further reports of any, shall we say, advertisements contained uh, before the program that have been too objectionable, but we're still looking at it and trying to make a decision by the end of the month. But a lot of you don't know much about who I am, the genesis of this program, how it started, why I even thought about doing a program such as Truth to Ponder. So I'm going to give a little bit of history and background uh, for for the new audience of who I am, where I came from, and, and how I ended up being behind this microphone for this particular radio program. Now, I started out in radio way back in the 1970s, like 1971. And I have been primarily in radio, with the exception of just a handful of years, my entire working life. I was kind of fortunate. I was one of those kids that was fascinated by radio, listened to some of the big radio stations you could hear at night on AM as a child. And as a younger child, we lived just outside of New York City on Long Island. So I was exposed to all of New York City radio. Just before I was to enter high school, my father decided to take a job in a small town in upstate New York, not far from Rochester, between Rochester and Syracuse, about 10 miles south of Lake Ontario. And in that small town, I still loved to listen to radio and became even more fascinated because I had the opportunity to visit, when I was like a sophomore in high school, the local radio station in our town. And to watch these guys sitting there at these specially made desks with turntables and microphones and mixing boards and tape machines, spinning the top 40 hits of the day, it seemed rather rather fascinating to me. I kind of liked the idea. Now, I know that after 50 years, the statute of limitations has long run out, but a couple of my friends and I decided, wait, we can build our own radio station, and we actually did. And for about a year and a half, we operated what started out as a micro-powered AM into kind of a micro-powered FM. But that micro-powered FM actually covered a lot more real estate than the law would allow. We never got into any trouble, but we learned quickly Uh, about radio and listeners, and there's a lot to it. 
it's because of that experience when I was a senior in high school. Now, I had worked a couple of little part-time jobs. My my family always felt that all of us should have some kind of a part-time job. Not that we needed the money. We needed the discipline and the work ethic. And so for a while, I worked at a small department store. Then I worked for a electric company that sold outlets and switches and breaker boxes for construction. And I spent a couple of hours every afternoon cleaning up the place and putting things back on the shelf. And one day, true story, one day when I was a junior in high school, toward the end of my junior year, there was a career day opportunity to get ideas about careers. And one of the people you could listen to was the program director of the local radio station. And he made a great presentation about radio, and and it's a hard job. It's not always the highest paying, uh, long hours, but it's a lot of fun. And listening to him, he was an excellent announcer, well-trained, a graduate of Syracuse University. And as I'm leaving that classroom where he had given his speech, he recognized me, and also he knew about the, shall we say, underground radio station. And he took me aside. And he said, come by my office one day this week in the afternoon when you get out of school if you can. I said, sure. And I didn't know what he was going to ask me to do, but I, I did. The next day, I went to visit the radio station after school. And he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. He said, you need to shut down your little FM before you get into trouble. And he said, but if you do that in exchange, how would you like a part-time job here at the radio station? And so I started, as I entered my senior year of high school, working on weekends at a local Top 40 radio station. That's how it started. And during my senior year, when we got a little farther in, the afternoon guy took a job somewhere else, and that came open. And because I could get all my schoolwork done by 1 o'clock in the afternoon, because I had finished up most of my high school credits, I got out of school at 1 p.m. to be at the radio station on the air at 2 p.m. Not a bad job for a high school student to be a top 40 radio DJ in early 1972. Now, the engineering side of radio was always a fascination to me. Remember, we did build this little radio station, and it did work, and there's still some tape recordings in existence of how we sounded. Now, as an announcer, I was terrible, as I look back now. But going to that real radio station with a real paycheck and a program director that was patient with me, I learned a lot in a short amount of time. And by the time the summer of 1972 rolled around, my plans were to continue working all summer as many hours as I could get my hands on even if it meant seven days a week, to save up money because I was going to be heading to an electronic tech school near Akron, Ohio. I had some ulterior motives on why Akron and not some other place, but another story for another day. Even during that summer, uh, I can remember the program director and station manager asking, so he said, you're really going to go on to Ohio to an electronic school. You can't do it here, huh? I said, nope. 
once again, my ulterior motive. They wanted me to stick around and give me a full-time job to stay at the radio station and hopefully use community college to pursue my electronics. But I just felt, and I'll tell you a little story about this in a second. This will help you when you think about the forks in the road we have in life. I worked those long hours all summer long and even produced in the production room audition tapes so when I went to Ohio, I could try to apply for a job at a radio station in that area, maybe for nights or weekends, to help make a few extra dollars during the time that I was going to be studying the electronics industry. I got to Ohio in August, late August 1972. It had been a long summer of six and seven day work weeks, split shifts, mornings, nights, all over the road. And I fell in love with the business and I felt at the time that I had gained some pretty good skills in being on the air. And I I enjoyed the work immensely, yet I also enjoyed electronics. And I I, I wasn't sure which side of the industry I wanted to to land in. Did I want to be someone that's strictly on the air, or would I be be happy also, you know, just just being an engineer? Because even the engineering side of the business was fascinating to me as well. These big transmitters, these towers, antennas, and equipment – There's a lot of work to be done to keep a radio station operating every day, seven days a week, and in many cases, even around the clock. And so it appeared that I could make a career as someone to be in, you know, loving radio like I did. I applied at a bunch of radio stations from Cleveland to Akron, and eventually I even went and applied for a at a couple of radio stations just south in Canton, uh, Ohio. And that's where I landed a job in Canton. Ideal hours for a guy that's trying to make as much money as he can and be in school and have some time, some downtime. I was offered a job from 3 in the afternoon till 9 o'clock at night, five days a week, 30 hours, not not a whole lot. But my school was essentially 8 until 1. And then I had Saturday and Sunday off. So I was able to to make that work. Even by the time I got to 1974, I was still not sure did I want to stay as a radio announcer or move into the engineering side. I was even doing some news reading at that point in a couple of radio stations after I did the tech school. Then I went to college for a while in New York City at St. John's University and studied more about the business of radio. And I recognized it's more than just a disc jockey and a microphone. It's more than just playing records. It's more than just maintaining equipment. It is a business. After all, the advertising is what pays the salaries. And so I had a new appreciation, but I still was unsure about which side I wanted to be on. In 1975, I decided the time was right to get out of upstate New York and New York State altogether, and I ended up taking a job in a small town in northeast Georgia, a little town called Tocoa, Georgia. It's about 95, 100 miles north of Atlanta. 
Atlanta wasn't that big of a city yet, but it was growing. And I took a job at this AMFM radio station. That's where I met my, my wife, got married. And for the next several years, so basically from 1972 all the way now to 1975, these first three years, my real work has been just being a radio announcer. I still was fascinated by the engineering still wanting to learn more about it. Had a background now from a tech school in electronics, but there's a lot of nuances in radio I, I didn't quite yet know. And I started out my career as an announcer. From, it, from there, I went to a station in Atlanta, from Atlanta to one near Greenville, South Carolina. And it was in 1978, I got up one morning, Doing the morning show, I was getting up at 3.30, quarter of four every morning. And one day, I'm thinking about the way radio is becoming in the 1970s. Now, it wasn't all the corporate radio stuff yet, but I could see, I could see changes. I was working for a very popular and very profitable AM radio station. But FM was on the rise. And I could see a lot of these AM radio stations are going to have some serious financial issues in time as FM becomes very competitive. And I'm also watching the number of radio stations now being upgraded and built. And I decided then I also knew something else from my experience in the radio business to that day. When you're a radio announcer, you live and die by the rating book. In other words, if the radio stations go down, even if it's not your fault personally, you might lose your job. And that's not a very steady way to live when you have a family. But I noticed that engineers are always the ones that stayed on when management and announcers got tossed out by the owners of the radio station. The engineer stayed. And most of them made fairly decent incomes. And I, I said, you know, Maybe, maybe I should go to the engineering side. So I started a process over about a period of a year and a half to make the transition from being on the air to being strictly a broadcast engineer. And by late 1979, I had done just that. I had my first class FCC license. I had now had some apprenticeship experience. And it didn't take long to get a very good-paying job way back in Atlanta at one of the largest FM radio stations in the market. From there, I went to work for a transmitter manufacturer in designing and building equipment. And from there, essentially, I went to a Bible college. Another story for another day. And there, I, I spent 14 years building a a radio ministry that included a satellite network and multiple radio stations. So radio has been a part of who I am all my life. But there's another part of my life that, that also was running parallel at the time. Now, before I get into that part of my life that really is the underpinning to who I am, it's more than just being a broadcaster. It's more than just being a broadcast engineer. It's a lot more. I want to go back again to the very beginning of where I came from. I was born 
in Brooklyn, New York in 1954 to an unwed mother. I was placed for adoption before the age of one and a half to a family living in Long Island. I was raised in a very large and conservative Lutheran church that had a full school, kindergarten through the eighth grade. And that's where I spent all of my childhood elementary school and junior high years was primarily in that school. It's only the last few months of the eighth grade I did that in upstate New York. I enjoyed my childhood because I enjoyed the life of our very vibrant church. I love the music. I love to go to church. And I learned a lot being in a Christian school environment. It, it really is the foundation of who I am. The Bible is right when it uses the term, train up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart later in life. I've seen that play out in me. I can look back and see my rebellious years as well. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is the program Truth to Ponder. It is a program that covers everything from politics to the pandemic to propaganda to the decline of our, our Western civilization in a post-Christian, post-modern world. And I look at the things that go around us every day and try to find truth in the very lengthy and often tainted narratives that we get from our news media. That's the purpose of this radio program. So how did I get to do this in my later years, in my, quote, retirement years? As I said, much of my life was spent in church. Even when we moved to a small town, I became even more active in a smaller church because I had the background. I knew how to be an acolyte. I knew how to do a lot of things in a church. And it was always, and still to this day, is a huge part of who I am. Now, I will tell you that in the 1970s and even into the early 1980s, I wasn't the faithful churchgoer that I once was. I was easily tempted and seduced by the idea of being a popular radio announcer. And you begin to you begin to live for yourself more than living for God. And it all came to a head when I was working in the early 1980s that I realized something's wrong in my life. Something is missing in my life. Something is just not in balance in my life. I was making good money. I was at a transmitter manufacturer. I traveled a lot. I traveled all over the United States and the Caribbean on a regular basis. I installed and built radio stations in cities from Mississippi to Arkansas to Georgia to New York to you name it. And I built equipment that is, a lot of it, believe it or not, after all these years, some is still on the air in use today. But God got a hold of me one night, and I, I just had these terrible nights where I could not sleep. There was just like, something is wrong. Something is out of balance. And what started in those sleepless nights 
was a huge change in who I am and the things that I do. Now, was I perfect? Was I suddenly the most upstanding model citizen of the world? No, but God was patient with me. Through an unusual series of events that have to do with the transmitter manufacturer, I ended up visiting Toccoa Falls College. Now, the irony is Toccoa, Georgia is where my wife is from. There's a, there was a small Christian school there when I first lived there. I never paid much attention to it at the time. But they had put a radio station on the air in around 1978. And they were making some major upgrades, and they happened to use one of the transmitters we had built. And they wanted to make some changes. So I visited up there, and one thing led to another, and that's how I ended up taking a job to be director of engineering to make this radio station the radio station it really could be. And from there, the door just kept opening to develop more stations and even a satellite network. God blessed that ministry beyond its imagination and mine. And I enjoyed those years. But God was still not done with me. I was now active again in my Lutheran church. But another door opened, and one I never expected. There's a long story behind it, but I ended up visiting a small little conservative Anglican fellowship that was trying to start in North Georgia. I was curious because they talked about the, the rich heritage of a liturgy, which is what I was exposed to as a child. And my curiosity just got the best of me one Sunday morning. My wife was a little bit under the weather. And so I decided as I was heading out to head to my regular church, I decided at the last minute to, instead of making a right turn, I made a left turn to head toward where this fellowship was meeting. And I thought, I'll visit it one time. I'm just, my curiosity is too high. Long story short, I never went back to my Lutheran church. I ended up becoming a member in an Anglican church, and I was quite happy to be a layman in a small group. I love the rich heritage. I love the scripture. And I felt so much at home. Over time, God started tugging on my heart again and reminded me of the tugs he had pulled on my heartstrings when I was like 9 and 13 and 15 to serve him. And so I pursued the idea of becoming what's called a permanent deacon, which means you can help in the church services. And I thought between my job at this Christian radio station and that, that I would be fulfilling God's call on my life. Or so I thought. In January of 1996, I've now been at Toccoa Falls College for about mm, 10 years. In 1996, I was ordained a deacon, what they call a permanent deacon, and started my life helping out with some churches and doing my work with the Christian radio station. And those were some very good years. I mean, I, I felt better health-wise and otherwise. But God still was not done. 
he wanted me to be a true and fully called ordained servant of his word. And a, a bishop and I got to be friends, and he made it very clear that he felt that I should continue on with my studies and end up being a fully ordained pastor or presbyter or priest, whatever you want to call it. And so using the resources at the college, I started my studies. And what was supposed to take three and a half to four years, I completed in 18 months. I was up till all hours of the day and night. I barely saw my wife. We were like two ships passing in the night between my work and the churches I had to visit and everything else. It was a very intense time. But my wife was very gracious and encouraged me even when I was discouraged along the way that I could never get it done. And as I really applied myself to getting into reading and studying and writing and all the things that go with the process of a seminary-level education, I completed the work, and then I was ordained as a presbyter or pastor, priest, whatever you want to call it. And I started my ministry. I planted several churches that some are still functioning to this day. I was called to a small church in Florida. They couldn't afford me, but because of my radio background, I could more than subsidize my income. And I watched a small church of just about a dozen or so people grow to a church of a hundred and some odd with a building. God blessed that ministry. And I watched my preaching ministry begin to form during that time. But I was still involved with radio, which is not a bad thing. I was able to use that radio background to help grow the church. All the things that I was from my birth, all the things that were placed into me, deposited into me by my parents, my grandparents, my church, were now bearing real fruit as I was in my 40s. My 20s and my 30s, it was a lot of fun, but nothing really for the kingdom of God. It was good training. I'll never deny that. In 2002, we're living in Florida, and my wife gets a diagnosis of breast cancer. Now, those of you that have listened to me on the radio, especially back in the days of your weekend show, which was running from 2015 up until last year when it became Truth to Ponder in a daily radio program with a weekend edition, you may remember some of the story. She had her diagnosis in July of 2002. And she went through the normal procedure that any woman with breast cancer of the type that she had would go through, chemotherapy, followed by radiation, and then hope for the best. And we went through that process. It was very debilitating for her. And it weakened her, it aged her immensely during that time. But as we got into 2003, by the time we got to maybe March, April of 2003, she was well on the road to 
what appeared to be remission and beginning to recover. Her hair is now growing back. A lot of the damage done by chemo was beginning to fade away. And the Lord laid something on my heart. I look back at it now. The Lord just laid something on my heart, and I was obedient, to focus on only two things. Don't worry so much about radio anymore. I had a nice income or a sufficient income from the church and had some other resources. So I took the year 2003, starting in that spring, and we traded in our car. We got a, got a Jeep Grand Cherokee, a 2000 model, so it's about you know two and a half years old. And we started to travel as much as we possibly could. We spent as much time as we could together, going places, visiting places, just spending time together, going to the beach, going to thrift stores, spending more time with with other family members as we could. And, And I look back at 2003, the church is growing. My life with my wife is probably the best it ever had been since the day we got married in 1975. We really, truly enjoyed each other's company. Our world at that point couldn't be any better. But you know, things can change on a dime. And when we get back from the break, I'm going to share what happened, what happened beyond that, bring you up to date. And then I'm going to mention a few things about why we do this radio program. So kind of hang in here with me. There's more to this story that you need to hear. God is good and gracious, even in our most difficult times. And I know that there are probably, statistically, it's obvious that somebody listening to me even today is going through or recently has gone through a very traumatic period in their life. And I hope that what I share in just a moment will be for you a great encouragement. If you want to find out more about this radio program, let me tell you where to find out more. Our website, of course, which is truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. There you can find out about the program. You can find out how to hear us as a podcast. It also gives the, the radio schedule on shortwave and also a link to our new radio channel called the Truth to Ponder Radio Channel, an online and on-satellite music and message channel, information about how to receive it on satellite from Glory Star, Galaxy 19 can be found there as well. If you believe in our ministry, would you consider help supporting it as we come to the end of this month very shortly? It's time to pay some radio airtime bills again to get through July. And any help you can give at this time is appreciated more than you'll ever know. Our mailing address for Truth to Ponder is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's our secure box, 263, in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, and the zip code 30537. If you're writing a check, make it payable to Ancient Word Radio. That's Ancient Word Radio. And we will be right back. This is Truth to Ponder 
with Bob Beerman. Like an ox in a moment. Shalom Aleichem. This is Jonathan Kahn, the nice Jewish boy, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. The word for father in Hebrew is av. Try it. Av. Now let's get deeper. The word av is made up of two of the most basic letters in Hebrew, the Aleph and the Bet, or our A and our B. They come from those letters. The Aleph in Hebrew represents and means an ox. The Bet represents and means a house. So what's an Av? An Av is an ox and a house, or rather the ox of the house. What's a father? An Av. A father is the ox of the house. He's the strength. He's the ultimate burden bearer. See, an ox is strong and is a great blessing, but the ox has to be careful because oxen are known for their stubbornness as well. So we speak of being stubborn as an ox. Well, so it is with fathers. You know, if you're a father, you're to be the strength of your family, the strength of your wife, the strength of your son or your daughter. And that strength is good, but be careful that your strength doesn't turn into blind stubbornness. Be stubborn for good and let your love be real stubborn, but never be stubborn in anger or in bitterness or stubborn in pride or stubborn in domination. Or you'll end up like an out of control ox in a house and you'll end up with a broken, wounded house or no house at all. The stubbornness of a father for anger and pride has destroyed millions of houses and families and lives, but the stubbornness of a father for love and for compassion and godliness and mercy has saved millions of houses and families and lives. Be tender in heart. Be willing even to say, I'm sorry, and be strong and stubborn in your love for those who are weaker than you and who need your strength, just as God is in that way, stubborn in love for you. Want more? Ask for the ox and the house. Now, what if I offered you a million dollars? Well, something better than a million dollars, something to help give you a strong and victorious life, a free subscription to Sapphires, vitamins for your spirit, and the incredible Mystery of the Temple Doors, all free. You'll love it. How do you get all this? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You'll be so blessed, but call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I invite you to join me in the harvest. You don't need a plow. Just an open heart and a pen, and you can reach the unreached peoples of the world. Just call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy at box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, and the zip is 07644. It's a nice Jewish boy. It's box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, Ben Elohim, the Son of God. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our program for today. This is Truth to Ponder, and I am your host, Bob Bierman. I want to pick up the story that I was sharing in the first half of the program today. And I know that some people are just tuning in right now to the program. And I spent the first half of the program just giving you some background of who I am, where I came from, how I got here, what I've done in my life for a living, and what brings me to being behind a microphone at this point in my life to do a program such as this. And I wonder what the future of this program actually holds. What does God have in store? What is the direction it needs to be? 
Getting back to what I was sharing as we went to the break. I had told you that back in 2002, my wife had a diagnosis of breast cancer. Everything seemed a lot better by the time we got toward the spring of 2003. And we spent all of 2003 as much time as we could doing some travel, not extensive, but you know, regional, local travel, day trips, time together. We were virtually inseparable unless I had specific things to do for the church and just a little bit of radio work, not much, that kept me busy maybe an hour or two a day. I was involved with a little morning show for you know, about an hour or so and by the time I got home, my wife was up and we would spend the day together and our weekends together and of course church together and all the activities that are contained. The daughter was living across the street from us in Florida, grandkids on the way. So a lot of exciting times when we lived in Florida. We really believe that we had beaten the odds as we went through the year 2003. And I can remember as we got to October, November, we're thinking about Christmas and, and how thankful we were where we were at that point in our lives. God had blessed us, our marriage, our ministry, everything. And I can remember deciding that this year, we would always, a lot of times over the years, we couldn't do as much as we would have liked to have done at Christmas. And, and our idea of gifts at Christmas were things you can actually use, you know, things maybe you can't afford or you'd like to have and you could make good use. And we were very blessed at that point, and we had a Christmas I'll never forget in 2003. We traveled all over finding all kinds of stuff for the kids and grandkids, and it was just a wonderful time. We had a plan in uh, early 2004. I had been invited to speak at a church in Tennessee. At the time, the church body, which I was with was in talks about literally merging with another church body. And so they were having some, what they call pulpit exchanges. So we get to know each other better. And I was asked if I would do two things. Number one, our church in Florida had given birth to a church in Highlands area, actually cashiers or that part of North Carolina. Some people that wanted to start a church had visited Sarasota during the wintertime to visit family, and the end result was they wanted a mission church up in that part of the world where they lived. And so the plan was made that we would travel to Tennessee, where I would preach on a Sunday. So the idea was to leave on Friday, uh, you know, do the—it's sometimes I could, we could make the drive in one day. But that would give us a day of rest and the church service and maybe Tuesday after looking over the area and talking with people, then head over to North Carolina and we were going to have a special Wednesday night gathering, which I would have been the guest speaker, to see this new mission church. That was planned for the latter part of January. Now remember, living in Florida, the idea of going where it's cold, like in the 20s instead of being in the 70s, it was going to be fun to be back in the cold weather again after being in Florida. Oh, at that point, about five or six years. And so we made our plans. 
And as the day drew closer, my wife started having what appeared to be a bit of a head cold, which became a hacking cough and everything else. And she just felt lousy. And I said, well, let me just call them. Maybe we can postpone this to another day. And we'll go up maybe next month or whenever you're better, maybe even wait till March. No, we can, we can postpone this. But my wife insisted that I don't. And here was her reason. Too many people had made too many plans to set up too many things and places for me to stay or us to stay. It, it's going to be hard to cancel all that now. She said, you know, the daughter's across the street. I'll be fine. And I said, well, good. So on that Friday, I, I told my wife, you need to get to the doctor. You're, you're still not sounding great. And so she promised she would set up a doctor's appointment, which she did, uh, but she couldn't get in until Monday. So at least I knew the daughter's across the street, doctor appointment on Monday, hopefully with some rest and all the fluids and all the stuff you do when you have what may be the flu or something like it. You know, I just hope that I didn't have it. And I headed out to Tennessee. And I really enjoyed my time at that church service on Sunday morning. I talked to my wife Saturday. She, she felt a little bit better, she thought. And I said, we'll still go to the doctor on Monday. She promised she would. And I knew the daughter was going to take her. The one that lived across the street was driving. So, yeah, let, let, let's make it all happen. So... Monday comes, and I'm getting ready to head over to North Carolina. It's early in the afternoon. I've only got not that many of, like a three-hour drive, maybe less, to where I was going to be. And, and so I, I'm getting ready to leave, and I had a cell phone that didn't work that well, but the phone went off, and it rang, and I recognized the area code, as being around, you know, Venice, Sarasota area. And it was my wife's doctor saying, Bob, you've got to get home immediately. Your wife is very ill. And I will tell you all about it when you get here. And I have an appointment set up tomorrow. Whenever you get here, I will move people around. Well, that was very concerning, obviously. And so I headed out in the early afternoon, back to Florida, getting in after midnight. And my wife was still not feeling great, still had the hacking cough, still weak. We found out the next day that the breast cancer had come back as lung cancer. And it's a very aggressive kind of cancer. And she needed to be in the hospital because she was getting a lot of fluid on the lungs, pleurisy, and it had to be dealt with. And we were, the options were not great at that time. She was given basically two choices, an experimental treatment or hospice care. That's where it was suddenly at. We just had celebrated Christmas and New Year and everything was great, and now the whole rug got pulled out. And so here we are. My wife was so concerned about the financial devastation that whatever this experimental treatment that may not be covered would do to us or me if, any, if it failed. But I insisted, and she did. And remarkably, 
When she came home from the hospital a few days later, she was on oxygen 24-7, a lot of medication, weak as a kitten. And we started this, this protocol, this special uh, chemotherapy. And it worked. My wife had asked the doctor, she said, will I be able to see a granddaughter's 10th birthday? Will I be able to see this, that, and the other? She had this thing, and the doctor felt very confident she probably could. And by Easter Sunday of that year, 2004, my wife was back at church with no oxygen required, and she was recuperating remarkably and rapidly. It was like a miracle. I couldn't believe what a miracle that it was. And we enjoyed we enjoyed the time that we had that summer, our anniversary, and right into the beginning of, of September. And it all changed again. Long story short, she felt dizzy for a couple of days. It was assumed to be the medication she was on. She had an appointment for Monday that she never was able to make because on Sunday, she just felt tired and decided this is after celebrating a granddaughter's birthday to stay home from church, which was all right because I knew she'd been tired and out in the heat. And as I'm coming back in, I'm finding out that she has apparently had a stroke, but it wasn't. It was brain cancer. And before she slipped into a coma, we had a chance to share our goodbyes and explain what was happening. And 10 days later, we had her funeral. The years following her death was probably one of the most difficult times I ever went through in my personal life, my spiritual life, and anything in between. I never took the time I should have to grieve, and I, I, I just kind of wandered from thing to thing, place to place, sometimes ministry, and then ended up just walking away from ministry for a while. I decided I had to take a break. Radio wasn't even fun anymore, and I ended up taking a job in emergency management primarily as a public information officer, and I used to take care of their website and other things and make and do their video production. So I learned a lot about emergency management, and I never knew that would become a part of who I am today. But by the time 2014 rolled around, it was time for a change. I had moved to South Carolina. I had family up there. And the time had come for a change, and I decided to go back to Florida had a friend in the radio business, and to help with a satellite uplink, I moved south. From there, I went to work for a ministry and reignited the ministry that I used to have by the time I hit 2015. I met somebody at the end of 2015. She was a widow, had lost her husband back in 2014. And we were married in 2016. So here we are today. I'm semi-retired. I work part-time when I'm in Florida doing some engineering work. 
and I had been doing this weekend radio show. I did some, like I say, I've done some short-term preaching positions and and just part-time. But God opened the door for me to, quote, retire from everyday work. And so now I spend my time doing this new work, along with trying to help develop churches within our church body, which is the Reformed Anglican Church. It keeps me busy, and I've got a wonderful helpmate. God has blessed me. And I'm going to spend the days and the time that I have doing what little I can do in the little corner of the world God has placed me. A lot of people that want to do radio ministry want to do it on the big FMs and and what have you. And and I just feel there's still a need for shortwave because of the tech tyrants and the censorship. And a lot of Christian radio today, I hope this doesn't offend you, is all about marketing music, not so much preaching the gospel. And a lot of the music today talks about him and my friend and my feelings. And and I, I just don't feel a part of that. There's a remnant church that needs to be gathered, a remnant church that needs to be prepared. And that's why I do this radio show. My background in ministry, my background in broadcast, my background even in emergency management in the time of this pandemic, it all comes into play. Because I understand more today than I would have understood 20 years ago about politics, propaganda, pandemics, all of it. There's something happening under the surface that is evil, that is controlling much of the narrative. The tech tyrants are now the arbitrators and ministers of truth. And that's why my little voice out here in the wilderness, on shortwave, on podcast, and occasionally on the weekends on a couple of other radio stations, it is what it is. I'm not a big operation. I'm a one-man show. I could use all the help I can get. When I, I looked at something the other day, and that's what I was thinking about at the beginning of the program when I talked about Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. I dropped Twitter as far as this radio show a long time ago. I, I decided to get out of that little weird world. Facebook is still there, automated only. I really don't post anything on Facebook for this program. I just don't, except the new episode is up. And for the longest time, starting back in 2015 with the weekend show, I used to post the audio track to YouTube. A lot of people listen to podcasts, believe it or not, from YouTube. And so since April or May of 2015, I've been posting the weekend show. And starting last year, I started posting this program on YouTube. And honestly, I've never paid attention because it was an automated process through the way that I post the podcast. It automatically would load up all the stuff to YouTube. And I had set up a special email address that Google requires with a Gmail account. So I had a Gmail account to set it up. You couldn't use a different email. So I set up a Gmail account for this program. And I forgot all about it until last week. I happened to think, I wonder if I ever get any email to that Gmail account. And so I logged in. I'd forgotten all about it. You know, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's truth to ponder at gmail.com. 
And I went in there, and there's a pile of unread emails from YouTube complaining about the content of my program is disinformation, misinformation, uh, unscientific. And it just went on and on and on. And I'm looking at one from last year when they were throwing, they were, they were literally throwing off and erasing those episodes. And one of the episodes they erased when I was talking about the pandemic came from a lab in Wuhan. I was saying that last year. I knew it from my work in emergency management. It was no, it was an open secret among those of us in the industry that it really did come from there. And why the narrative was being so controlled is beyond me. Why did they feel they had to control the narrative and say it couldn't have come where, where someone had bat soup or some nonsense uh, in China and that's how the pandemic started? No, it was what I said a year ago. Illegal gain-of-function research that was continued by Dr. Anthony Fauci. I said it last year. And every time I made that claim, somebody somebody would complain to YouTube and they would remove it. So more than half of the programs I've posted have been removed. And some, when I talk about things like the stupidity of, uh, of our educators, is considered hate speech and they get removed. And so I'm seeing it in this, in this program without paying, I hadn't paid attention, that YouTube and Google are already all over and minimizing your ability to find this program. That's why I like shortwave, friends, because Google doesn't operate shortwave. I'm happy to have this podcast now on Edify, which is a Christian podcast site. And we will continue to use all the means at our disposal so we can circumvent the ministers of truth, the tech tyrants, and the propagandists that want to lead you astray. I'll get into that more next week. Some of the lies that are now the established truth and how you can discern. And also look at what the Bible has to say about the direction of our world today. Those that hear the weekday program yesterday, I talked about as in the days of Noah. We are in those kind of days today. Definitely in those kind of days. The time is short to get the word out, the good news out. And if you believe in what, what I'm trying to do here, my little ministry here, would you consider helping us financially as we go into this new month of July next week? Hard to believe. Half the year will be gone. I want to, I'm hoping that the satellite on Glory Star will grow. So far, I, I have no idea of how well it's doing. But I've committed myself for at least 90 days to see if it will work. And I'm being patient. I knew when I started this radio show, it took almost 90 days before people noticed it and would help support it. I'm hoping that others may want to make use of that satellite time and trust me, the cost to have an hour a day, an hour a week is going to be nickels and dimes if you're interested, if you know somebody that is. I want to see shortwave grow, working on a project to add more hours for this show and other frequencies and times for other Christian ministries. Time is short. And while we have time, let us do good under the household of faith. Let us do what the Bible says to encourage each other. 
Let us get the church prepared. Too much of the church today has become woke and broke and foolish and apostate. They run around in their fine vestments preaching heresy and celebrating sin. I'm not here to argue little doctrinal points. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to get you into God's word, into God's kingdom, to know him as your personal Lord and Savior, to bring that good news to those that are not having good news. I've been through traumatic times in my life, but I'm an overcomer because of Jesus Christ. Everything that I have lost in my life, God has restored to me multiplied times over. Even doing this radio show is a gift from God. Sometimes it's not easy to do it. Some some days my mind is just not in it. I'm tired, whatever the case may be, from other things. but, But I know it's a responsibility. And like I say, I apologize if some programs just don't seem up to, quote, standards. But I hope today's program has been an encouragement for you. I would like to hear about what God has been doing in your life. Everybody has a story. As I mentioned earlier, we come to these little crossroads in life, little forks in the road. Yogi Berra once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And it's surprising how one little thing you do one day can change the course of your life. Real quick, 1975, my first day in Toccoa, Georgia, applying for a job. They asked me to come back that afternoon. And so I went to have lunch. I was going to go down the main highway and stop at like where the McDonald's was. But instead, not knowing the town, I ended up in their little downtown. And so I went to have lunch at a little drugstore. And this cute little Southern gal checked me out when I left the drugstore. And she's the woman I married six months later. That little fork in the road, making a right turn instead of a left gave me a wonderful wife for almost 30 years. If you believe in this ministry, would you let me know? Would you go to the website? You can also support us, I think, from the Anchor website as well. If you want to send a check, you can do that too. And the address is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's our secure box, 263. We are in the city of Sky Valley, Georgia. Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. And make your check payable to Ancient Word Radio. And until Monday's broadcast, may God richly bless you. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.